We turn again to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we considered uh, this morning verses 1 through 6, and uh, this evening we'll consider the rest of the chapter, uh, verses 7 through 19. But we'll read the entire chapter once again. Please note the therefores that come up in this chapter. As I called attention to that this morning, note it as we read through it now. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word, and we just pray that by your spirit we may be led to just believe this with all of our hearts and just give us the faith to believe, too, that uh, the importance of Jesus in our lives and our salvation. And we ask your blessing on Pastor Bob as he brings this to us through the preaching. Just ask that he would be given all the words to speak that we need to hear and pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So we want to look at two things from these verses tonight. First of all, the warning 
that is sounded, and then secondly, the responsibility that is given. The warning that is sounded and the responsibility that is given. See, the warning comes following verse 7. Because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is the one of greater glory, because Jesus is the one who is faithful over God's house as a son, because we are part of God's spiritual house, if we hold fast our confession, if we hold fast our confidence, we hold to our hope that our salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, therefore, the writer of Hebrews is warning those who read the letter, the church through time, and us as well. Therefore, don't harden your heart. Don't let that message of the gospel, don't let that message of Christ be missed. Today is the day of salvation. Now once again, note that that the author here is not addressing the pagan world. He's not addressing those outside of the walls of the church. He is addressing those who are holy brothers. He is addressing those in verse 1 of chapter 3 who share in that heavenly calling. But he is warning them, don't harden your heart. So three things about the warning that is sounded. First of all, that it's a previous word. See, what we have here, the, these verses that, that talk about today, if you have heard his voice, do not harden your hearts, that comes from Psalm 95. We've been singing that psalm. And, and in that psalm, we, we have these glorious anthems of praise, right? That, that's what we read as our call to worship this morning and this evening. But turn back with me now to Psalm 95. And let's look at the section from whence this quotation arises. Starts there in the middle of verse 7. Right? Now notice the flow once again. The first part of Psalm 95 is this anthem of praise to God. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come with thanksgiving. Verses 6 and 7 that we had as our call to worship. Let us worship, kneel down before the Lord our maker. For we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And then, note, now comes the quote. Today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden like you did at Meribah as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. You know what he's referring to? He is referring to that day when the people of Israel made the choice not to enter Canaan. When they rebelled 
against the Lord. Remember, it's the day that the spies come back and they receive the report. And there are those 10 spies who say, yeah, the land's big and we're not going there. Two spies, faithful Caleb and Joshua report, yes, the land is big. Yes, the people are big. Yes, the cities are big. But with God's help, we can do it. But the people, the people sided with the 10. They rejected God. That's the day. You see, because the rest of this talks about their 40 years. What event is associated with their 40 years of wandering? That rejection and rebellion against God. They hardened their hearts. That's why the author of Hebrews here and at the end of this chapter talks about the fact that these were the very people who were let out of Egypt. These were the very people who had experienced the exodus. They had experienced God's blessing. They had experienced Mount Sinai. And yet when it came to this moment of entering the land, they hardened they, their hearts. They refused to do that which God had commanded them to do. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, in the context of Hebrews chapter 3, you see, that's the previous. The author of Hebrews is looking back and he's saying, let me give you an example out of Israelite history. Of course he's going to give an example out of Israelite history. It's the book of Hebrews. Right? He's speaking to Jewish people. He's saying, look, you, you should understand this. You are the people taking out of Exodus. And yet, you didn't listen to the Lord. You hardened your hearts past. But now he's saying, that's present as well. I've just told you who Jesus is. I just told you what it is that Jesus has done. But don't think that, that just because you're in the confines of the house, that somehow means your heart is right with the Lord. See, you can still have a hardened heart and be in church. That's what the author is bringing out. Jesus is our salvation. Don't be like the people of Israel in the Old Testament that experienced all these blessings from God, heard God's word of truth, and yet rebelled against it. But you see, that word comes up again, doesn't it? It's kind of interesting in Hebrews chapter 3. Not only is it present here, but then we turn over, and once again in verse 15, we have it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's coming and sounding this warning over and over again. In the context of Israel's history, in the context of these 
people who are part of the New Testament church. But it's also the sounding of that warning for you and I as well. That we too need to listen carefully. And we need to hold firm to Christ. There's a lot of things that would take us away from Christ. Take us away from Him being the one on whom we lean for salvation. There are all sorts of draws. I mentioned some of those this morning, but sometimes that, that comes in other ways. It comes in terms of trials. It comes in terms of troubles. It comes in terms of our situation that we are in in our country, where, we, where perhaps we are tempted to turn away from Christ at a point like this. You would think we'd turn to Christ. Well, you would think the people of Israel would have turned to Christ there in the desert. You would think these Hebrews would have turned to Christ. You know, sometimes when the troubles mount, if we've only served Christ for the temporal blessings, if we've only had in mind the, the temporal things of this world, and then when we have to do without them or we are forced to do without them, well, then oftentimes people can look and say, well, Christ isn't doing me any good at this point. Christ isn't helping me. And they drift away from Christ. And so the author of Hebrews comes to you and I in this day, in our time. Today, today if you hear God's voice speaking that Christ is indeed the only means of salvation. Hold on. Keep holding on to Christ. Now sometimes we sing that, that old hymn, tell me the old, old story. Right? That's yeah, a good story. It's a truthful story. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ dying for me. The warning that is sounded. Secondly, the responsibility then that is given. And that's where we pick it up then at verse 12. What responsibility is given? Take care, brothers. Take care. Lest there be any of you and be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See, there's that drifting away and falling away again. But, verse 13, exhort one another every day. Here comes our responsibility. In the midst of this, in the midst of those who are clinging to Christ, in the midst of those who are holding fast to Christ, what becomes then our responsibility? Is it, well, I'm holding on to Christ and I could care less what anybody else is doing, but I've got him. 
The author of Hebrews now addresses us. He warns those who are not clinging to Christ. But now he gives to us who are clinging to Christ a responsibility. And the responsibility he gives is to exhort one another. Verse 13. What does that mean, to exhort? We use that word in a technical sense when we talk about preaching, right? Uh, In in our former denomination, it, it was, you see, if you aren't ordained, then you are exhorting. So when you'd have a seminarian come in and he would lead the worship service, you know, he would be exhorting the word. He wouldn't be preaching the word because he wasn't ordained. And, and we probably formalize that term far too much. So much so that when we, you know, some might read this and say, but exhort one another, we'd say, well, I can't do that because I'm not ordained. I can't do that because I'm not in some. I can't do that because I'm not standing behind the pulpit like Pastor Bob. That's some sort of official thing you do, you know, and you, you've got to have some sort of special status in order to exhort. No, this is a responsibility that the author of Hebrews is giving to every single one of us as a believer. So don't think about it in that official sense that perhaps sometimes we use it. Use it instead as that which is the responsibility of the office of believer. We are responsible to exhort one another. Meaning what? Well, the word, the Greek word that's used here, can be broken down into two parts. Para kaleo. The para means to be close beside. The kaleo means to call on personally. So it means to come next to someone. Personally. Not theoretically. Right? Not just, well, theoretically I do that. No. It means to do so personally. One of the terms that we give to the Holy Spirit is that he is the paraclete. Same idea. He is the one that comes beside. He is the one that is alongside of us. Personally. Right? Dr. Tim taking us through the book of Acts. Right? We, as Christians, we have all been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always beside us. The Holy Spirit is also always personally with us. It's not just the Holy Spirit comes to the church. No, he comes to you. He comes to me. He dwells with us. He is close beside. To what? To be there. To be there. Look at verse 13 again. But exhort one another every day. Be there. To be there for one another. 
to be there beside one another, to be there personally for one another, to encourage. It's the idea that we get, if you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, we've got to go back a, a few books. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it is, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What a great church the church of Thessalonica was, wasn't it? In the midst of all sorts of persecution, they were exhorting one another. They were, see, Paul doesn't say you need to do that, which in fact you are doing. Paul's encouraging them. Keep at it. Keep up that exhortation. Keep at it. Keep being there for one another. Keep encouraging one another. Don't, don't be the downer. Don't be the naysayer. Don't be the disgruntled. Don't be the angry. Don't be the complainer. Oh, complaints? Does that take you back anything in this chapter? Does that take you back to those Hebrews who come out of Egypt into their new glorious freedom? And what are they doing? Ah, now Pharaoh's going to get us because we got the Red Sea. Oh, now we don't have any water to drink. It's all bitter. Oh, now we don't have anything to eat. Now we don't have anything to drink. Oh, no, we don't want to go near the mountain. Complaint after complaint after complaint. But as for you, complain to each other. Spend the week complaining. Call somebody, complain. Text somebody, complain. Tweet to somebody and complain. That's what I want you to do. Be a group of complainers. No. That's the hardening of one's heart. The responsibility that you and I have is to be encouragers, exhorters, to come alongside closely, personally. And note, well, I do that on Sunday. That's what I do when I show up to church. Is that what the text tells you to do? Is that what our responsibility is? Verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Every day. Day in, day out. Constant. Ongoing. Perpetual. Day by day. We are called in our office as believers to be exhorters. Encouragers on an ongoing, daily basis. See, we're to be the voice in the wilderness that says, when somebody says at Rephidim, we ain't got no water again, to say, wait a minute, when we were back at Mara, God supplied. Huh, all we got is this manatee. At least we have something to eat. God's taken us out in this wilderness to kill us. 
No, I think God brought us out in this wilderness so that we would live. He's taking us to the land of Canaan, to the place of rest. But they hardened their hearts. And they did not enter his rest. A responsibility to exhort every day. But what are we to exhort about? Well, he continues, does the author. But exhort one another, verse 13, every day, as long as it is called today. In other words, as you have opportunity today, notice how that word just keeps getting used in this passage as well. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, there is something about a Christian, a fellow believer, encouraging us as the Holy Spirit encourages us that draws us away from that hardening of sin. Today, if you hear your, his voice, do not harden your hearts. What is my responsibility as a believer? To be and to fulfill the office of believer is being an exhorter, an encourager. Why? So that my fellow believer does not have their heart hardened. So that their heart doesn't become hard. Over the course of time, that slowly drifting away, that idea of hardening, that stubborn refusal to hear God. Remember that, that old expression that we used to use called hardening of the arteries? Right? What did it do? They became hardened so that blood could not flow through. Don't harden by hardening to sin means to, to, to become so hard that the lifeblood of Christ does not flow through any longer. How do we prevent that amongst ourselves? How do we prevent that as brothers and sisters in Christ? By encouraging one another daily. See, because, let, let's go back to the Israelites in the wilderness. Here I am in my tent. I'm a little sick and tired of manna. I'm really sick and tired of manna. And I steps outside of my tent and I say to you, neighbor, are you getting sick and tired of manna? Now, what is your responsibility as my neighbor? Yeah, I'm sick and tired of manna too. What did that just do? That hardens me. That means, hey, I was right. Because look, he's sick of it too. So I must be right. My attitude must be right. My view must be right. When this whole thing comes down in Numbers chapter 13, you know what they're all doing? They're all complaining to one another and feeding off one another. We're not going into Canaan. We're not going into Canaan. We're not going into Canaan. That hardening of sin. The author of Hebrews is saying, you and I bear the responsibility 
of being the encourager, of coming alongside and encouraging them to continue to look to Christ. Because sin is so deceitful. Supposing I said to you, I can give you a momentary pleasure. It's going to last but a few seconds. The cost of which is going to be eternal torment in hell. Anybody up for it? You go, hey, no way. It's not a very good trade-off. Right? And isn't that exactly what Satan did? Taste it. It'll be so good. Right? See, what sin does is it deceives Satan actually convinces us that the momentary pleasures of sin in this world are actually worth eternal damnation. Now on the surface, we're not buying that deal. But sin is so deceiving that he's so subtly is able to twist and distort it. Let's ask, let's ask somebody who's in Israel. They're standing at Kadesh Barnea, right? Okay, here it is. You can reject going into Canaan or you can wander in this wilderness and die in this wilderness after 40 years of wandering and you'll never enter Canaan. What would you like to do? Uh, I think we'll rebel and wander in the wilderness for 40 years and never enter Canaan. You'd go... They're not going to do that. But you see, sin is deceitful. That actually looked like the best option to them. But that's the way Satan works. What is its counter? But you encourage, exhort one another every day. Because sin hardens and sin is deceitful. You need to encourage. How exactly do we do that encouraging? Look at the rest. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitful of sin, deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. How do we encourage one another? We have come to share in Christ. That's a covenant term, you see. The author here is, is pulling in for, for these Hebrews a covenant understanding to share in Christ. It's to be in covenant. In relationship. See, what is it that Joshua and Caleb say to the rest of those people? We are God's people. 
We're in covenant with him. He's not going to let us lose. He's not going to bring us all this way. He is directing us, go into the land. Why? Because he is our covenant God. But they spurred, they rejected, they rebelled against that covenant. So now what is the author here telling us to do as Christians? Encourage one another, what? That we are in Christ. We're in Christ. Go on a journey with me. Right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We go to Corinthians and what do we hear? That we are a new creature in Christ. What do we hear throughout the New Testament? That in him we have redemption. In him we have forgiveness of sins. What did we hear this morning? This is a cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. We are in covenant. We are in Christ. And all the blessings of Christ are ours. How do we counter the murmuring, complaining, stubbornness, and hardening of our hearts by the deceitfulness of sin? We are called to exhort one another that we are in a covenant relationship with Christ. And all the blessings of Christ are ours. So when we're tempted to complain about whatever the governor is announcing at six o'clock today, remember that you are in Christ. When you're tempted to worry and fret about what's happening in the United States, remember that you are in covenant with Christ. Remember when you go to the doctor and the doctor reads you those test results. Remember that you are in Christ. You are in a covenant relationship with Christ and do not let the deceitfulness of sin harden your heart to that which is the relationship you have with Christ. We are in Christ, in a covenant relationship. But note, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm through the end, we can only claim this, you see, if we have not drifted away. See, those people, 10 years after the event of Kadesh Barnea, couldn't be saying, hey, we're your people, God, we'll now go and enter your rest. God had said, no, you're not. You're going to wander for 40 years and you're going to die outside of Canaan, never entering it. If you hold firm to the end in everything, no sin, no, that isn't what he means. He means if you continue to hold on to Christ as the only hope of your salvation. It is when we drift away from that covenant relationship in Christ that we never were in covenant with him. Never were. We need to hold unto Christ. That's what gives us assurance. 
That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us peace. Oh, pastor, I I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. Do you still trust Christ? Yes. Do you still hold to Christ as the only means of your salvation? Yes. Then you have the assurance. You have the comfort. You have the peace of glory. You shall enter that rest. You will enter it. Because of holding on to Christ. This is the language that the author uses. This is what he tells us. This is what he reminds us of. See, this is what we encourage one another with. You still looking to Christ? Yes. Great. Great. Hold on to him. Sharing in Christ the covenant, the condition, the confidence, placing our faith in him alone. God had given a picture of it, didn't he, in that exodus. They took that Passover lamb. They killed it. They took the blood and they put it on the doorpost. It was a picture, wasn't it? Placing our faith and trust in Christ. When we confess that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain and that we are washed by his blood, we are sharing in Christ. And so the call comes today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. She did in the rebellion. Hear Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. And that's where we go next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, looking at that glorious rest that God has promised us in Christ. See, that's why he is supreme. Even Joshua didn't give them a final rest from their enemies. But Christ, our conqueror, has. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming alongside of us with your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to exhort us, to walk daily with Christ. Father, as those who look to Christ and to Christ alone for our salvation, Lord, in this week, may we be mindful of our responsibility to be encouragers, to be exhorters to our fellow believers that they too share in Christ's glorious blessings. In His name we pray. God's people saying, Amen.